Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Ve salatu ve selamu ala şerefil anbiyeyi ve mürselin Muhammed Resulullah sallallahu aleyhi ve ala alihi ve sahibi ve sellem. Teslimen kathiren kathira. Fama vadu. My brothers and sisters, if I tell you that we live in a connected world, you will, you will agree with me, right? Because that's what we think we do. We live in a connected world. But let me ask you, let me take that a step further and ask you, what do you understand by saying connected world? Anybody? What's, what, what's the meaning of that? Connected world means what? Connected, how? Huh? Social media, okay, that's one way. How else is connected? Anybody? Yeah? No, no, no. How are you connected? Yes, Billa. Phone, okay, phones. Supply chain, okay. So we are connected in ways in which we receive things, in which we, we give things. We are connected through technology, telephones, whatnot. We are connected through social media and so on. I want to propose to you that we are connected in something much more significant than that. And that is our basic existential connections. So I am connected, for example, with my parents. Right? You may not know who they are, that doesn't matter. But I am the product of my parents. They are bringing biologically, I am a product of them. Also, of the culture I was raised in, the family I was raised in, this is part of my connection. And so also are you. Now you can develop that further, take it to the tribe, take it to the, the whole Kabila, take it to not nationality as in these nation states. The nation states are you know, 100 years old, they have no meaning. But big, bigger nations, right? So you have the Afghan nation, you have the Arab nation, you have the Mughal nation and so on. So, But there is one connection which supersedes and precedes all of these. Now, what's that connection? I mean, that's, that's a dumb question to ask you guys. You, you, you know the answer. Huh? What's the connection? What's that connection? Huh? With Islam, right? So, the connection with Rasulullah and because of Rasulullah our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is, you know, that's there for everybody. But for us as Muslims, the connection with the Prophet Muhammad now, why am I saying all this to you? For what? For one very good reason, which is that because we are connected, everything we say and do is interpreted by others in the context of that connection. Right? Whether you like it or not, it's that that's out of your hands. You might say, why do you say that? That's how it is. That's how I see it. Whatever we say and do, whether it's good, whether it's bad, is seen and interpreted as a reflection on that connection. Now, why is that important? Because it is very important for us to remember this and to continuously keep it in mind 24-7, like, like, a, like, like a you know background program that's running or, or rather like a platform on which everything else runs. To say that every action of mine is going to be seen as a reflection on Muhammad Rasulullah Whatever it is, if I if I am standing in the street cursing, 
People will say there is here is a follower of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is how they behave. If I'm saving somebody's life, they will say, SubhanAllah, this is the follower of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is how they behave. Irrespective of what it is, it will reflect on Rasulullah Sallallahu And I am responsible. You are responsible. So ask yourself, what is it that we are going to say to the Prophet Sallallahu when we meet him? What will we say to him? What will he say to us? I'm not saying necessarily something bad. No, it'll be good. Maybe he will say, very nice, you, you turned out to be a good guy, right? But the opposite also is an issue. We passed through this whole month. We are in the tail end of it, another couple of hours and Ramadan will be over. We focused a lot on our ibadat, which is how it should be. Ramadan is a month of worship, so we worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we fasted, we recited Quran, we read Quran, we listened to recitation, we prayed and ruku and sujood and etikaf uh, and so on and so on. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of this from all of you and all of us, inshallah. All that we did, alhamdulillah, we focused a lot on ibadah. Let us focus now on what is the outcome of this ibadah. It's like going to the gym, right? And you go and spend time in that gym and total dedication. You've got a coach and whatnot and you're doing all the machines and you're doing all the, uh, the, the weights and whatnot. At the end of that time period, what do you look for? Anybody? Result, right? I mean, at the end of the time period, will you say, no, no, you know, I spent so many hours. Forget the hours. What's my weight look like? What's my muscles look like? Has my, you know, strength increased? Am I able to lift more weight? And what? So, you went to the gym not to spend time in the gym. You went to the gym to get some result out of it. My question to myself anyway is, what is the result of our ibadat? We spend all this time. We did all this. What's the result? Is there a result? I'm not talking about the hasanat and the sabab Allah will give. Of course, inshallah, Allah will give this. We, we, we ask Allah for this and inshallah, what He promised, He will give. I'm saying in this life, is there something that I can measure? Is there something I can feel? Am I a different human being thanks to the fact that I spent all this, this whole month of Ramadan in Ibadah? Am I a different human being because I spent some time reading so much of Quran and so on and so on? How has this reflected in my life? Because this is a reflection on my connection with, with, uh, with Rasulullah Sallam. This is a reflection of my connection with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. I spent all this time in the in the in the house of Allah, in the company of malaika, of angels, in the company of good people, good human beings. So what did that have? What did that do? If I was the Hadith of Rasulullah Sallam, he said, "Be," he said, "Be in the company of good people." He said, "If you are in the store of a perfumer." Then you will come out of there. The time you spend there will be nice because you are spending, smelling pleasant perfume. And when you come out of there, you will smell good because you were you were sitting there in the presence of all this perfume. Something rubs off, rubs off on you. And then he said, if, instead of that, if you go into a blacksmithy and you are sitting there with a the blacksmith, then there's sweat and there's uh, 
you know, dirt and there's coal and there's dust and whatnot and all that stuff will also dirty your clothes. So now we spend the time in the best of companies because this is the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The people who come there, they come to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So beautiful brothers and sisters, you have the malaika and so on. What is the effect of that? This is something that we should ask ourselves. Not simply walk out from here and say, okay, now we have a party. No. What is the effect of this? I spent the whole month. Believe me, we are probably the only people in the world who this who do this kind of thing. There's no other follower of any other religion who does this kind of ibadah. Nobody. Even the priests don't do that. For us, almost every Muslim does it. Ramadan is one whole month of this. Right? This kind of binging or ibadat is only we. we. Nobody else does it. But at the end of that, I'm not saying there's no effect. I'm saying what is the effect? We, each one of us has to ask ourselves a question. I must ask myself, and I uh, you know, remind you to ask yourself, what is the effect of this? Because this is what reflects back on the Prophet ﷺ. I want to end with an interesting and true story. Abdullah bin Mubarak, he was one of the great scholars of this deen from the Tabi'in. He was a contemporary of Sufyan al-Thawri and uh, he, was a, he was also a, a, a contemporary of uh, uh, Hassan al-Basri uh, and so on. So there must have been some amazing times to have all these great scholars together at, at, at one time. Abdullah Mubarak and uh, Sufyan al-Thawri for a time lived in the same house in Makkah. The story is that one year, Abdullah bin Mubarak, he says that I, we, we did Hajj, we finished Hajj, and I was uh, sitting in the Mataf around the Kaaba, and I fell asleep. And he says, I saw a dream, and in that dream, there were two angels talking to each other. And one said, that this year Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not accept anybody's hajj. So Abdullah Mubarak now thinking, he's thinking, well, I was, all, I was one of them because I did hajj. And this angel is saying, Allah did not accept the hajj of anyone. The other angel said, except that there was one man because of whom Allah accepted the hajj of others. So one said there's no one accepted. Other one said no, people, Hajj was accepted. But not because of these people. Not because of these Hajjis. But because of one man. Because of him. And the angel mentioned the name and the location of this man. Abdullah Mubarak said I woke up. And I remembered this whole thing. So I said I must find this man. This man was somewhere in Syria. He was not even in Makkah. He was north. And when Abdullah bin Mubarak went to look for him, this angel gave him, gave him the location. He found this man was a cobbler. He was a shoemaker. Right? He was a very humble, poor man, a cobbler. So Abdullah bin Mubarak went to him and he said, uh, he asked him, where he was, and so on, so on, so on. And he asked him, did you go for Hajj this year? The man started crying. He said, why are you weeping? I'm asking you a simple question. Did you go for Hajj? Why are you crying? He said, Sheikh, what to tell you? 
I am crying because he said, you see what I do. I'm a very poor man. Right? And I have this, I had this great desire that I must do Hajj. So he said, it took me maybe 30 years of saving. You know, few pennies, few pennies. Maybe 30 years, maybe more. I collected the money to be able to go for Hajj. So in those days when they, you went for Hajj, it was a trip of several months. So people, were, even now, people in our you know, home countries, before you go for Hajj, you go meet people and so on and, you know, you seek forgiveness. So he said, I was doing that. I was ready to go. And, you know, I was going from house to house, meeting people and uh, taking fare, making my farewell and so on. And the whole, the day passed and it was now evening, uh, almost getting dark. I went to the house of one of our neighbors and uh, I knocked on the door. The door opened and there was this wonderful smell of roasting meat. So he said, I spoke to my neighbor and told him I'm going for Hajj and so on. My neighbor said, thank you very much. But he didn't invite me to eat. So he said, I felt strange. You know, I'm coming to your house. I'm seeing this, this fantastic smell and food and so on. <laughs> Nobody's calling me to eat. So he said, just as a joke, passing by, I told him, you know, this is strange. You are my friend and look at this wonderful smell of food. And, uh, you know, you're not even asking me to stay for, to eat. He said, this friend of mine, had tears in his eyes and he said, this is not halal for you. What we are eating is not halal for you. This man said, it's crazy. How do you say that? I mean, you are a Muslim, I am a Muslim. Huh? If I come to your house and you tell me you can't eat this, not halal, I will say, well, you are crazy. I mean, you are the same religion. How, how is it halal for you and not for me? So he said, we are both Muslims and you are telling me the food you are eating is not halal for me. How? So he said the man tried to, you know, deny. He said, I, I insist. I said, Tell me, what, what is this? He said, the reality, the reason why it is not halal for you is because we have been starving. For the last three days, four days, my family has had no food. I tried to get work. There's no work. There's nothing. We are starving. Almost dying. Today, he said, I was passing by and there was a dead donkey. So I cut a piece out of that donkey. And that is what we are eating. You can't eat it. It is not halal for you. It's halal for us because we are in this state of complete desperation. But I cannot give this to you. So this man said, I went home. That whole money I collected for Hajj. I brought the whole thing and I gave it to the man. I said, this stick. Take this video family. And I did not go for Hajj. So he said, for 30 years, maybe more, I saved money to go for Hajj. And I could not go. And he says, now I don't think I can ever go because I don't have another 30 years of life to save and go. So I'm crying. Abdullah bin Barak said to him, I came, I'm so and so, I came from Makkah to tell you that Allah Ta'ala accepted the Hajj of everybody this year, including me, because of you. 
Allah accepted the Hajj of everyone because of you and you did not even go for Hajj. So the point I want to make for you is this, that Ibadah is not for the sake of Ibadah. Ibadah is so that something changes inside us. So ask yourself, what changed within me? And that something must change. If it is not changing, then something is wrong. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to change this inside us. So that we become people who Rasulullah will be happy to meet. I ask Allah to make us people who the Nabi alayhi will be happy to meet. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa 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 alayhi